Welcome to Write Into Your High Calling with author and professor Sherry McGriff. Write Into Your High Calling is dedicated to inspiring you, equipping you, and challenging you to steward the call of writing that God has on your life. So if you're up for it, let's get started. Hi, this is Sherry. Welcome back to the podcast of Right Into Your High Calling. Okay, so today I want to try to inspire you. I want to inspire you to be a culture shaper, a culture shaper. As a writer, words are so important. And if you have not listened to the first episode of Right Into Your High Calling about what a word is, you need to go back and listen to it or listen to it multiple times. A word is a sound. God created the world with a sound and you have the ability to recreate with a sound. Okay, so let's talk about this for a little bit. Um, Now, I haven't talked about my books at all um, since I started this and I really don't want to. I don't really like tooting my own horn. But one of the things God had me do was he had me create a Culture Shaper series and it's a series of about four or five short stories that actually have come out in ebook and print and standalone little books. And they're about five books each um, for print. Otherwise, they're on ebook. And one, the very first one, is called Stolen Generation. And literally, this series is Culture Shaper Series. And so, this first little story. It talks about abortion, but what it does is it goes back and forth between a present day abortion clinic where at first, and I don't really like telling you the end, but um, I'm trying to make a point here. So it goes back and forth between a present day girl in an abortion clinic, which we don't know at first, but later we figure this out. And then it moves into um, other past genocides and horrific events that have happened to people and children specifically. And so like, um, so abortion clinic, then it goes to, let me see, Australia with the stolen, which is uh, the original stolen generation, what they're called, the Aborigine children. And then it goes back to the present day. And then it goes to the deep South with uh, slavery and everything that happened in the deep South. Uh, specifically 1750 is the date I have. And then present day again, and then Indian ter- Indian Territory, what happened with the Indians, their First Nations, Indigenous people. Um, the terminology depends on who you're talking to, what they want to be called. And I'm from Oklahoma, so I'm very uh, well acquainted with everything. Um, and then present day again, and then Auschwitz, a concentration camp, then present day again, present day again and then actually United States of America also present day but uh, specifically in 2015. Okay so what the point I'm trying to make is God had me write a story about abortion and try to wake people up that abortion is another genocide. It's another genocide and the things that happened to the Jews in um Germany, the things that have happened to the children that were in slavery, the things that happened to the uh, Aborigine children, some of the same things that happened to some of the Indians is happening today, but actually at a larger uh, level, 
at a, I mean, it's bad to happen to one person or one child, but it's horrific. Was it 6 billion or 6 million a year? Um, children are killed in the womb of their mother. So the point of the story was to show people that abortion is a genocide, just like all of these other genocides and all of these horrific events that have happened to people. And as we probably all know, is when you just talk to somebody about a complicated, a controversial issue, uh, defenses go up. Even if they don't believe in abortion, defenses kind of go up because you don't really want to talk about these uncomfortable um, issues. But when you can talk to someone in the language of a story, you kind of surpass that logic that defenses the wall comes down because through a story we have the ability to get truth in there uh, and kind of pass over the wall or the wall isn't built as high or there's a hole in the wall um jesus did this he wrote he uh talked in parables when he taught he taught through the power of story and truth and so that's what i did here and um I've had not a lot of women have written me, but some have, you know, saying, you know, I read your story. Um, Sherry, I had an abortion. I did this. I didn't know. And I'm like, no one knew. Um, you know, our generation was taught that this was not a child. The church was, I mean, I wasn't born when Roe v. Wade, Wade was um past, but the church was pretty silent. I think some people did protest, but you know, the church overall was pretty silent. The church has been locked down into a 5013C for how long? I don't even know where the voice of the church has been silenced so they could get uh, a tax status and not have to pay the government part of the money that they were given. On one hand, I understand that, but on the other hand, the church allowed themselves to be silenced on this issue and many others. And now I think there's a new tax uh, code that you can still be a charity technically or ministry and your voice is not silent. So if you need information about, on that, you should look that up. But let me just read this part to you. And I, I wanna show you what's possible. I wanna show you what's possible to shape the culture your voice is so important. God wants you to speak. And when we write it, we're still speaking in a sound because that sound explodes in the reader's mind. Or if they're listening to it audibly, like on an audible or an, uh, an audio book, that sound, that word explodes in their mind. It goes into the heart. So I want, I want you to... Um, to really think about that. What you have to say is so important. So here's an example of what's possible, what can make a difference. And um, this is to inspire you. And I'm going to, so I'm going to use my little bit here, the last little chapter, because uh, it's a short story, but they have little chapters. And then I'm going to read you another um, passage from um, another book that's not by me, because <laughs> it's not about me. Let me tell you. Okay. This is chapter 10, Stolen Generation. Uh, the title of the chapter is United States of America 2015. Okay. They call us unwanted. They call us inconvenient. 
They call us a clump of colored tissue. We are separate but not equal. We are numbers tattooed on the arm of our country. Our language, our voice, stolen by the needle and the knife, a DNC from the D of C. We are gassed with saline and burned alive in the crematorium of our mothers. Those who survive botched abortions are considered jobs not well done. We are left in trash bins and sandwich bags to suffocate. There is no more policy to kill the Indian, save the child. There is instead Roe v. Wade, a legalized genocide, a traitorous act, a systematic eugenic system to euthanize the unwanted, the brown-skinned, the poor, the inconvenient, the savages, ripping us from the wombs of our mothers. We are human. We are an inconvenient truth a victim of genocide for one's manifest destiny. We are every Jew slaughtered in a concentration camp. We are every African slave chained and sold like cattle. We are every half-caste native child stolen by its government. We are a gift from God. We are the aborted. We are the murdered children of the modern world. We are a stolen generation. Okay. So think about that for a second. You know, I know I wrote it, but it is powerful. And it's inspired by the Lord. It's not on the level of the word of God, but it's inspired by the Lord. And everything you write can be inspired by the Lord too. And you have the potential to impact the culture. I talked about last time that we have a window of time to get the gospel out where we still have free speech where everything is not completely locked down. And I'm talking about in America and in the Western world. You know, in China, they've been burning churches down and demolishing them, right? Um, Russia, the, I believe the window in Russia is starting to close to the gospel. We have a window of time. And some people might not like me to talk about politics, but that's part of the world and the uh, that God... Uh, let me see, how do I say this? I mean, I live in America and this is part of our reality and the government is important. We put into office uh, people that we want to rule over us and make laws. Well, sometimes people vote in people that are unjust, who are wicked, and they make laws that then we suffer from. Um, sometimes in our na naivete, um, our innocence or lack of voting, um, these things happen. And sometimes by cheating also, right? But we have the power with our words to inspire and to shape the culture. And that is something we need to do. And we need to take this gift very seriously that God has put in our hands. Now, another um, little passage I want to read to you. And this, so that was a short story. Now I have, and I don't have any nonfiction with me to really go into, but the, the book, The Yankee Widow by uh, Linda Lale Miller, Lale, L-A-E-L. She writes um, about a woman whose husband is fighting for the North in the Confederate Army, Army, and he get he dies, and then um, a battle is raging near where she lives, and she has to help the soldiers that are from the North. They're um, really injured, and they're brought to her farm to be taken care of, and then 
But one of the soldiers that is brought is the best friend of Captain McBride. He's the best friend, and he is a Confederate soldier. And so she has to struggle with whether to help this man or not, because if she helps him, he may end up killing more um, people from the North, like her husband was killed. And the reason I think this is important, and, you know, the this battle was a long time ago, um, but it was over slavery, is, I don't know if you're really aware, but in the public schools and in some of our predominant culture, the the kids, and even just people listening to the news, we know that uh, slavery was a, a heinous evil. And, you know, I address that in my book here, all the, my story that I just read to you in a previous chapter. We know that, but a lot of the culture is being taught to hate the people in the South. And they're being taught that um, if you believe this or that, that you are, um, you hate everyone, that um, you uh, hate people that have a, a skin that's darker than yours and hate, hate, hate and all this. And I can say just being in the public school system in the Midwest, I moved a lot. I'm from Oklahoma, but I moved around a lot. We moved with an oil company. Uh, my stepfather worked for an oil company. Um, I was basically taught, not specifically, but or explicitly, but subversively, maybe, to hate the people in the South or to hate the South. And that my idea was that everyone in the South um, that hung a Confederate flag or that fought in the the battle to, you know, they were in the Confederate army, that they loved slavery or all of that. And that was basically my takeaway from my education. And then God had me move to the South about um, 14 years ago. Um, first moved to Virginia and then uh, Florida, Northern Florida, which is still part of the South. And when I got there, I, I mean, I never wanted to move to the South. I really didn't. And I didn't understand the culture. It was a little different. I mean, I was in a predominantly military area, so it um, wasn't like the deep South. But then he just started to show me that not everyone in the South who defended their land um, that they were actually doing it for slavery. I remember being in a college and I was actually having an argument with a guy who, who was saying that it's like, no, they, this flag doesn't mean slavery. And it's like, yes, but everyone in the country around the country who sees that flags, that that's what they think of. And the reason they think of it is because that's basically what you're taught in the school system, but that's not what the Confederate flag means to them. And I'm not defending slavery and I'm not defending any of that. Okay. So don't write me and send me hate letters about that because I'm not. What I'm trying to say here is that this book addresses this mindset, this cultural mindset, mindset that everyone who did this certain thing, um, or fought for the South was, uh, evil and enslaved people. And we don't really call when I teach in the colleges in American Lent, we don't call people slaves we call them enslaved because a slave is a is a noun and it's saying that this is their whole identity is that they are a slave 
No, they're enslaved. This is um, their condition. They're enslaved, but this does not define who they are, the things they've accomplished, and it does not define their life. So whatever you're going through, it does not define your life, and neither does um, slavery. So let me read a little passage and maybe you can get more of a feel of what I'm trying to say. Remember, I, the point of all this is that we have the power as writers to shape the culture. We have the power as writers to disband or dismantle the lies that people say or believe with the power of the written word and the word that is spoken. We have the power to dismantle these lies and we can do it through story we can also do it through nonfiction, but um story is also really helpful so let me read this to you hold on one second there we go okay so this is from the yankee widow uh chapter 16 i believe okay um so caroline is the protagonist the the yankee widow and she's talking to captain mcbride and she's they have to deal with this issue of what i just talked about okay so let me just go ahead and read this to you caroline gestured towards the tents where men moaned and wept and sometimes screamed in agony around the clock what about them captain mcbride do you feel any kind of loyalty toward these men torn to pieces by confederate cannon and minne balls or the thousands of others like them like my Jacob, she thought. He did not shrink from her vitriol, but leaned in close until she could feel his breath on her face. Do you think, Mrs. Hammond, for one moment that I don't know what war is like? I am military trained, as is Captain Winslow. I enlisted in the Union Army to fight for my principles, and I don't regret it. But that doesn't mean I don't understand why Bridget made a similar choice for different reasons. He's a decent, honorable man, not some bloodthirsty fiend out for senseless slaughter. Caroline spoke carefully, furiously, quietly. What? she demanded, is decent and honorable about enslaving other human beings, Captain McBride, about running a young woman, an expectant mother, down like an animal. A young woman? You mean Juby? What? Yes, Juby. Caroline was shaken and not at all sure she could keep her voice down if this discussion continued, so she climbed the steps and entered the house, with Rogan right behind her. How can you, how can any sensible person discount the, discount the injustice, the cruelty? I'm not defending slavery, Rogan said with conviction. You must know that. And neither is Bridger. She whirled on him there in the shadowy corner. Of course he is, she insisted, outraged, but very aware that Rachel was in the house and might overhear their heated exchange. Why else would he fight? Rogan was rimmed in sunlight, but his face was in darkness, and she could not read his expression. He's fighting, he replied, because the South is his home. Wouldn't you do the same, Caroline? Wouldn't you fight to defend this ground, your child, your grandmother, your friends and neighbors, your town, and the folks who live there? Caroline sputtered. It, it, it isn't the same. Isn't it? Rogan asked, closing the door behind them. Okay, I'll stop there. Okay, so my point here is your words have power and you have the power 
to shatter mindsets and dismantle lies that people believe. When I moved to the South, God had to dismantle the the judgments and the prejudices I had about the people who lived in the South. And maybe I wasn't really prejudiced against them. And uh, it was more of a, a, a distrust, a distaste, of course, for slavery, of course, but for, I, I just, I, I just believed what I'd been taught and I'd taken on the thoughts, um, the mindset and the judgments of others who also had probably been taught the same thing. And I just found it not to be true. I just found it not to be true. Um, the more I looked into it, the more I, um, read on my own, the more I just knew people and knew more of the history and everything. Again, we know slavery is a heinous evil, (laughs) of course. But, um, and I'm not laughing there. I'm just saying we know all that. So it's not about that. But this woman with this book is able to dismantle this lie about people in the South and what was happening. Of course, we do know um, slavery was um, an economic thing, um, evil, no doubt. But then we had people that were born into it, just like you and I are born into family situations. And it's not until you grow older that you might have the power to change something about the situation you were born into or have the power to change the culture. Uh, You know, we think about the people who in the North who did have to stand up and say, this is wrong and we're going to fight to end it. And you know, Lincoln, who had to try to keep the union together. He did not want the union to fall apart. The states, this country, this fledgling country that was still so new. When he came to office, he knew slavery was evil. He didn't really think much about it when he was younger because he was just born into a system, a world system. And then probably God showed it to him. Washington was the same way. He was born into a system. Didn't think much about it. It was just the way life was. But then as he fought and commanded armies and he had his, uh, his valet or his ballet, uh, what was his name? I can't remember at this point, but then as he got to know him, he realized how wrong this was, the system he'd been born into, how wrong it was. And he, he no longer sl- supported slavery. Even Thomas Jefferson, he drafted the, uh, was it the Declaration or the Constitution? The Declaration of Independence. And he put an anti-slavery clause in there. Thomas Jefferson, who we know enslaved people and was pro- and probably had children with one of the women he enslaved, He did not believe in it, yet he did it. I believe he probably loved this woman, but he did it for economic reasons, doesn't make it right. But even he did not believe it was right. And he put this clause in the Declaration of Independence and the people voting on it, um, that's one of the passages they struck out, shockingly enough. But these men, so let's talk about nonfiction and the power to shape a culture. No one is perfect. God does not expect us to be perfect. 
But these men who drafted the Declaration of Independence, well, he did, and then they put other things in, took things out, in the Constitution, in the Bill of Rights, in all of these things, these nonfiction texts had the power to shape the culture. And I would contend that these nonfiction texts, these powerful texts that are predominantly inspired by God, they've changed the world. They've changed other countries. These men that came from all these different countries to work together, collaborate, founded a brand new country, and what they started here impacted the world. Not every country has wanted to be impacted by them. (laughs) Communist countries don't. But they've impacted the world. They've impacted the people in these other countries that aren't as free as Americans are. So the power of the word is incredible. It is a sound. And it can break mindsets. But it can also enslave. It can also lie and manipulate So it's really important that what we're putting in ourselves is clean and as pure as possible. Doesn't mean that doesn't mean that you can never watch TV or read books or anything. Um, We have to do it do so prayerfully. There's going to be lots of things, movies, television, books that is a great story, and you're really wrapped up in the story, and then something is added in. You're like, oh my gosh, why is that there? Oh no, my eyes. Oh no. The, the language, oh no, what, oh no. You can't like unsee something or unhear something. Um, and it's distressing and then you just have to pray and ask God to forgive you and to take it out. And, you know, what do you do in those times? Do you skip forward and keep watching or keep watching the movie? Or do you just leave? Or do you put the book down? Or do you skip those parts? Uh, I can't tell you what to do on those situations. Every situation is different. Um, Of course, the best thing would be like, oh, leave it completely. Um, It's hard to say because it's in so much, you know. So we really have to limit it and we just have to do things prayerfully. But the power of the word is incredible and it's that sound. Okay, um, another thing. So I'm trying to inspire you today. I'm trying to inspire you, but also let you understand the weightiness of what God is asking you to do as a writer. So there's um, another person I heard speaking this week. Um, Her name is Emma Stark. She's a prophet from Scotland. And um, I heard her talking to Larry Sparks, who's the publisher of uh, Destiny Image, who I do not know. (laughs) Okay, let me just make that clear. I don't know them. But she was talking to him about Uh, something that God told her that he wants his people to engage in. And she said, she called them media theologians, media theologians, that God was asking his people to be media theologians. And what this means to me, it goes along with this culture shaper, is that we have to be willing to be a culture shaper. We have to be willing to enter the conversation. And she was saying, don't be scared to have these conversations. Just ask God to give you language to articulate his message. But when we walk away from the culture uh, and, and conversations, like not being able to talk about slavery and not being able to talk about abortion, we let the enemy and his lies and his mindsets and his crippling enslavement trap people's minds and the culture in these lies. 
And we have to be willing to engage in these conversations that are difficult. And I am speaking to myself too, because I don't like talking about these things. When I teach one of my classes, I tell them, listen, if you are feeling uncomfortable about something I'm talking about, let me tell you right now that I am also uncomfortable at the very same time because I don't like talking about these things. But but we do it because we have to be able to. So God is asking each of us to write, and I'm going back to what Emma said, to write that righteous tweet, to write that righteous blog, to not be afraid to go on CNN or MSNBC or even Fox sometimes, um, not being afraid to engage the culture and be part of the conversation and just but asking the Lord to give you a language to articulate it so you're not flubbing your words. We all get nervous. I know I do. Um, but that ask him for that language. Ask him to fill your mouth, you know. Um, but then also another part of that is asking the Holy Spirit to bring back to our memory things that he's told us or taught us. I was listening to one of my friends today and she um, started having a migraine yesterday. And the way she described it was uh, she started it started getting black or dark along her peripheral vision. And so she was starting to get tunnel vision and immediately and she didn't realize she hadn't eaten. And so immediately her husband got her a soda and something to eat. And then the vision cleared. Well, and you might say, well, that food and drink is not the best food. Okay, so that's not my point. My point was that she had to feed herself and nourish herself so she didn't have this tunnel vision so she could see clearly. So again, I'm talking not just to you, but to myself. We have to nourish ourselves with the word of God so we can see clearly. So we don't have a tunnel vision so that our vision isn't impacted where darkness doesn't surprise our vision. And so darkness keeps us from seeing everything. It only allows us to see what it wants us to see. So what does this mean? It means that when we're writing, you might think, well, writing is not the same as seeing. Um, it, it is and it isn't. When we're writing, a lot of times we're playing out like a movie in our head and we're writing it down. And even when um, ministers are writing a nonfiction book, it's like, I well, like when I think about doing this podcast, I kind of see myself or hear myself like preaching in a way or teaching. When I think about classes before I'm teaching them, like when I'm driving to class, I will be like, I will kind of be in the classroom in my mind and I'm thinking about what I'm saying. So I'm like going over the script in my head of what I'm saying. And I, and I believe that people that write nonfiction books, they're kind of doing that same thing. So we have to, we have to be feeding ourselves on the word of God so that we don't have this tunnel vision so that darkness can't impede our vision. Um, so doing those things. And I just, I just want to inspire you today that if God has called you to be a writer, and if you're listening to this, he has, because why would you be listening to a podcast on writing? Especially if you listen to more than one episode, you know that I'm not really politically correct. I do talk, talk about hard issues, and I do talk about politics, and I do just, I talk about life in general and what God is saying, and it's not always pleasant. And I can be a little rough around the edges sometimes too, so... 
and then I can have technical difficulties. Um, so I, I do want to say thank you for listening too, but I just want to encourage you that God has called you. And if God's called you, he'll fill your mouth. He'll, he'll, uh, He'll fill your, your mind and he'll give you the, the ability to articulate the things that you are supposed to write or speak or sing. He will articulate, he will help you and he will art- help you articulate what you, the message that you have for the world. He has a sound he wants to release in you, but we also want to pray for courage to do this. We need the courage. So let me pray for you and then we're going to end this thing. Well, I did have a scripture, actually. Um, so let me just give you this. So when we're impacting the culture, we wanna, we're in the world, but not of the world, right? So we, we don't want to take on the world's attitudes, their mindsets. We want to take on God's. And the only way to do that is to know the word, to love the word, to read the word, listen to it, whatever way you need to do. Um, let me see how, where, how much I want to read of this. Right in this here. Um, let me just read this. So it's 1 John 2, 16 through 17 and then 20. I don't want to read too much. Um, and this is from the Passion Translation. For all that the world can offer us, the gratification of our flesh, flesh the allurement of the things of the world and the obsession with status and importance. None of these things comes from the Father, but from the world. This world and its desires are in the process of passing away, but those who love to do the will of God live forever. So again, he's telling us that this world is going to impact us, but none of these things are important. Okay, so this goes back to the lies that I wanted to that I was talking to you about. So verse 20 says, but the Holy one has anointed you. And I'm talking to you right now, listening to me, but the Holy one has anointed you and you all know the truth. So I'm writing you not because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it and no lie belongs to the truth. So what we are doing when we write is we're speaking for truth. We are speaking for truth. We are giving out this sound into the atmosphere and on the page that then explodes in the minds of the readers of truth. Even if you're not explicitly saying the name of Jesus or Yahweh or Jehovah, but it's getting in the subconscious because the truth is all is all over it. If he is in you and you are in him, then it's coming through your writing. So whatever you're feeding on is coming through your writing. And we don't want any lies We don't want the lies of the world to affect us. And then therefore we're putting out the lies. We are trying to shape the culture with the truth, the truth, God's word, the truth. I feel like I'm, I don't know if I'm getting through to you, but I hope that I am. I want to inspire you that you can do this. If he's called you to it, you can do it where you need um, help with grammar and mechanics and all those kinds of things and learning this or that just for the technique parts he will help you just keep studying keep working on that but the other part of that is feeding on the word of god and knowing him and having a real relationship with him you know just talking to him praying to him um you know loving on him and if you don't have the desire to read the word then pray about that too that he would give you that desire so let me just pray for you right now 
Father God, I just thank you for today. I thank you for every listener. And I thank you, Lord, for our readers, the readers that you have to read our work. Lord, I just pray that you would give each one of us language and how to articulate the stories and the lessons that you have for us to give to the world. Lord, cleanse us of anything that we're doing that is not of you. Lord, wipe away the memories and the cells, the cell banks that hold unrighteous, ungodly things in them and show us how to forgive in areas that we haven't forgiven so it doesn't affect our readers. Lord, we ask you for courage. Give us boldness and courage to go where you want us to go to say what you want us to say, to write what you want us to write, to be who you called us to be. Lord, give us courage. Give us language. Give us the ability to articulate what you want to say. And Lord, we pray for our readers. Our readers are our inheritance. And Lord, we pray for them. We pray that you would save them and you would reveal Jesus to them. Lord, we ask that you would bless our families, save our families too. For those that are not walking with you, Lord, we pray that you would reveal your truth to them. That you would send someone to speak to them, to write for them that would bring them to you if they're not listening to us. Lord, we just pray for language. Okay, so go out there, be a culture shaper, take it seriously. Be a media theologian if God's called you to that. And I'll try to find the link for that and put it in the show notes in the description. And God bless you guys. And until next time, keep writing. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been Right Into Your High Calling with Sherry McGriff. To support this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe to the YouTube channel, to the podcast, and sign up for emails and lots of cool things at truthandfiction.substack.com. That's truthandfiction.substack.com. And if you're interested in being um, coached to writing your book or your book formatted, let me know. It's truthandfiction.substack.com. There's a contact form on there. And you can also comment on the articles and things I do. So, Have a wonderful day, everybody. God bless you. Until next time, keep writing.